You are listening to the Adoption and Fertility Finance Show, where we prepare you financially for adoption or fertility. Navigating the waters financially for adoption and fertility can be intimidating. And your host, Laura Coleman, knows that firsthand after spending $35,000 for IVF and adopting three children. She's made it her mission to help other couples realize their dream by living their financial life with intention. Today's podcast episode is being sponsored by the Adoption and Fertility Grant Success Course. Learn step-by-step instructions on how to create a successful adoption or fertility grant. You can find more information at familymoneycoaching.org and click on shop. We want to welcome Matt Doran to our podcast episode today where we talk about how financial planning is not actually about money. Part of what we do as financial planners is we help people with their relationship with money. And we all grow up with different messages about money and we all have attitudes about money that range from, you know, it's a it's a source of power or, or identity to it causes guilt and anxiety. And, and I think part of, particularly with couples, is ensuring that those messages we grew up with about money aren't causing conflict when we reach adulthood and marry someone else who also has those messages. So part of it is um, our relationship with money. But then what I'd like to, to emphasize before we get specifically to how that money is used is there are predominant themes in the lives of clients that essentially every research study comes back and says there are five main themes that clients have around their goals for financial planning and they generally aren't monetary. They aren't specifically about an amount of money or income. They're more about what the money is used to support. And those things are the things that add meaning to their lives. And that's where fertility and adoption. So those five themes are family and relationship. Number one, every time. So when clients are asked, what do you want your, your resources to support? It's the people they love. Number one, every time. The second is what we generally call spirit, which is the things that fill your soul. And it certainly includes faith, but it's not limited to faith. It's anything that makes you feel abundant or alive, you know, really, really engaged. The, the third is, is broadly uh, defined as creative pursuits, which is a little different than spirit. This is more about how do my unique talents and experiences impact the world or other people in a positive way because it's both a form of giving back and a a driver of significance in my own life. So Doctors Without Borders, for example, might be a great way to, once I'm done working for an income, I can still apply my unique talents and experiences in a way that helps the world. And and fourth is specifically giving back, which is often, sure, it's, it's donating to worthy causes or raising money for them, but it's often mentorship and volunteerism also. Giving of one's time um, is, is, a, is a central theme in the lives of people. And it often, it could mean you're the community you live in. It could be the church you belong to. It could be scouts or some bigger call. And then lastly, the, the, the fifth most identified theme is that people have a strong connection to a certain place or setting. And that might be near the water or in the mountains or the, the, the piece of the country, the vibe of the city, or a specific location where they just feel differently. They feel more relaxed, more at ease. And what I think is it is the combination of those themes 
everybody has them all. And the, the strength of one versus another is really what differs among people. But when you blend those things together, if family is the strong dominant theme, it plays itself out through the others, right? Where do we engage? Where do we give back? Um, how do we mentor? Where do we spend our time and what do we spend our time doing that reflects all of those things that make our lives meaningful to us? And so with family and relationships being the number one theme cited by clients, um, adoption and fertility is obviously a place where resources um, get deployed to bring about, to, to make manifest that goal. I like when you were talking about the giving back. I, I met several people that, you know, they adopted. And so they have started adoption funds and they are raising the money so that other people can then go through adoption. Um, one of them is uh, Hope for One, and then the other one's a, a Little Biscuit uh, Adoption Fund. And I, I was always impressed with the individuals that started that. And as I watched like their journey, you know, here you, you go through this experience is pretty emotional. And then to actually turn around and then give it, give it back, pay it forward, so to speak, to other people. It is a big cycle that we have in our lives that um, we want to feel good. <laughs> we want to feel that we have um, meaning to our life. And I definitely think that that giving back is a huge, huge part of, of that journey. I, I like that, um, that step. Well, and I think that if you, in recognition of where we are as a society today, we we have more blended families than at any point in the past. And I think that too is a, is a really significant um, thing to acknowledge that the folks who step up to parent children um, in blended families are making a significant impact on the lives of children. You know, I, I think it's a, and it's, it's not by accident that my two, um, my only two careers have been in education and financial planning. I actually taught elementary school for a long time. But I, I think the impact that people have on one another and the myriad of ways in which they create that or deliver that impact it is, is something to recognize. And I think truly one of the greatest gifts we can give to one another is our time and attention. I agree. I agree. Definitely. You know, when, when, a uh... A couple has a different um, history and they come together, you know, how, how do you think they should blend their lives together, their financial lives together? So I wouldn't say there's a right way to do it. It's, it's going to be a right way for that couple, right? So the, the primary goal is to make sure that everyone feels heard, everyone's needs are being met and addressed in a way that reduces conflict. So for example, if one spouse sees money as a path to excitement and fun, and the other spouse sees financial resources as a path to security, without finding some way of managing that, every expenditure can cause conflict, mm -hmm. right? So every trip, every purchase, every thing that one spouse wants to do can feel to the other spouse as if you're, you're robbing 
from the security I'm seeking to create. And I don't think that's true. I think in many cases, people do operate quite well um, within the the constraints of, of the resources they have. They just haven't clearly articulated how they're operating. Right. And so if we just make sure that, hey, if these basic needs are met before we do any of those other things, then you can have guilt free spending and everyone's needs can be met. It it just oftentimes the need is to clarify how those needs are being met and everyone's happy. I I like to think about guilt free spending. Right. People are going to spend regardless, including you and me. But wouldn't it be great if we could spend without feeling guilty about it? And it's not that hard to achieve. I like to call it a spending plan instead of a budget because you are planning on spending that money. (laughs) Yes. And you should. I mean, that's what makes life fun, right? I mean, we all like experiences and and, and new things and and we like to upgrade our lifestyle as a, you know, reward for hard work. And I think that's, I think that's normal. What, unfortunately is also normal is the guilt and anxiety that come with it. And, and we need to figure out how to manage that. Yeah. Yeah. I was just um, talking with a marriage and family therapist this morning about how our, our grief and our trauma and our, our sorrow affect our spending. And I, you know, the things that happen in our childhood do affect the decisions that we make as an adult. Would you, do you have any examples of that or? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that statement and do have examples of that. I think, you know, like many others, I grew up in a household where we certainly didn't go without, but money was a, a, it was a constant concern, right? It was, I was well aware of opportunity cost, meaning, okay, guys, if we decide to do this, it means we're not going to be able to do that. And is, is everybody good with that, right? And, and, and I think in many households, that is, the, that is the discussion is there's not an unlimited supply of time or money, and we have to be making good choices about how we spend each one, which often means we're trading off doing one thing for another, right? And I think I, I owe a debt of gratitude to my parents for helping me see that. Um, but I also think I grew up hypersensitive to those trade-offs. And it resulted in, for me personally, money representing security, right? So I've become what is referred to as an amasser of wealth, right? I, I feel more comfortable having greater reserve. And, and I think that's true for a lot of people because the messages that they got were, were you'll feel safer if you have more, right? You've planned well. And so those messages aren't good, bad, or indifferent. They're just different for every person. And um, I think that it's important for people to acknowledge what those messages were and how it dominates their current behavior. So, so for example, let's assume that we're married and your parents paid for your undergrad and I worked all through my undergrad in construction and pumping gas and fast food to make it work. It's not uncommon that we might feel differently about how we're going to put our own children through college because your experience and mine were very different. And we have to come to some agreement about how that's going to work because you valued the experience of not having to worry about it. And I valued, valued the experience of 
really, you know, knowing its value because I had to work so hard. For it. Now, a question for you. Um, you stated that you're an amasser of money. I am like that too. Um, but let's say that you need to spend money on something. You know, adoption costs quite a bit of money. So does fertility. I mean, we spent $35,000 on fertility. And if you are an amasser of wealth and you, you have to have that security, how can someone deal with the emotions of having to fork over all of that hard-earned money towards something? I actually believe there's great satisfaction with doing exactly what you just said. And that is the reason to be an amasser is that the money is purpose-driven right? It's if I amass the resources and align those resources with the values I have, I will have a much greater level of satisfaction in how they are deployed, as opposed to just willy-nilly siphoning off resources for pleasure, right? I, I think there's much greater satisfaction in saying, I've saved these resources for this reason, and now I'm able to to do or achieve or proceed with what I've always wanted to do. It's tremendously gratifying as opposed to the, the short-term pleasures and distractions that media and marketing, you know, the effects that media and marketing have on us that often pick our pockets for things that just make us feel good for a few minutes. Have you ever heard of the book called Happy Money? I haven't. Uh, it, I think you would really enjoy it because what you just said um, they talk about that in this book that you want to spend your money on things that truly give you um, pleasure and have meaning and they're not frivolous things that you're just spending it just to spend money and, and that we have to have the emotion behind the money and um, I'll, I'll make sure I put a link to that book in the show notes but you know I, I agree with you that you, you need to purposely spend your money instead of just, oh, I'm just going to buy it. Oh, this is just um, a momentary pleasure. And you have that excitement for a little bit and then it dissipates and then you get depressed because you spent money on something and you're like, why did I spend money on that? Right. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I love ice cream, but I'm, I'm not sure that the fourth or fifth bite of ice cream is as satisfying as the first two. That's so true. You know, it, it, it's really just a matter of allowing ourselves to have those momentary pleasures too, but in, in, an, in an amount or, a, you know, in a way that doesn't distract or detract from the long-term ambitions. It, it's not like all of our joy should be postponed. It's just that when resources and values are aligned, satisfaction levels are much, much higher. Right. And, and so, the anticipation, you know, part of like a vacation is the anticipation to that vacation. Yes. And the pictures that came from it that provide joy and memories for a long time after. And it's, it's one of the reasons why you hear people talk so much about experiences, you know, add more richness and context to our life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. So now how, how do you feel about debt? Well, I think that debt is a tool and, um, there's nothing inherently wrong with debt itself. It's how it's used or structured that causes problems. So, for example, I generally believe in being debt-free because of the emotional freedom that comes with it. That said, 
some debt, uh, people couldn't generally acquire a home and live in the environment and attend the schools and the things that make their lives meaningful and, and raise a standard of living over time without the tool of debt. Okay, so the structure of the debt, the use of the debt, the terms of the debt are very important elements to examine. Um, and generally speaking, consumer debt that's non-deductible and high interest and paid for something that was fleeting is, is unfortunately a sign of the times. And I think that debt can obviously cause tremendous problems, but some debt is truly just an investment, right? I'm, I'm using money as a tool to enrich my life, my um, knowledge base, my opportunity to earn income, my ability to live in a place that offers safety and comfort and good schooling for my family. So, so debt in itself is not evil. It's just that the easy availability of credit and the strong marketing messages pushing people into using debt in ways that are harmful. So a lot of times I hear a couple say uh, that they want to borrow money to do adoption or fertility. In like I understand that desire to you, you almost have a sense of urgency, especially if you're like, you know, 35, 40. I mean, I was I was like 36 or I, I think I was 36 when I went through fertility. And so there is a, a sense of urgency, like I get that, but, you know, should someone go into debt to, to do fertility and adoption? Um, because it is an investment, but then there's this other side of things. So, well, you got to pay it back. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, I think that that one would be, um, it's easy to speak generally and the specific recommendations would obviously be unique to the the people you're talking with, right. but in general, an addition to your family of any kind, but particularly a, a, a young child, um, brings with it additional costs, okay? So if the resources are to, to make that happen are being borrowed, and then there's the increased cost of a growing family, I would say that's probably going to be challenging. So it would be far better if the resources for the adoption or the, or the fertility procedures were already saved because it would show a discipline and an ability above um, one's consumption to, to absorb increased costs, right? The ability to save is a discipline. And so if that discipline were already in place, it would bode, wetter, bode better for the increased cost going forward um, of having a child. Mm -hmm. So the only time maybe I might feel differently about that is if there was a known windfall coming. So there were some kind of stock grants or options maturing or a note receivable that's due or the pending sale of something, right? That might mean the borrowing is really a bridge to a known influx of funds. But if it was just, gosh, we really want to move forward on this and without the sort of structure in place to support it afterwards... It, it could be challenging. So let's talk a little bit about financial planning. Yes. Um, 
So we've got our different pots of money, you know, the regular monthly bills and our goals and our personal spending and our retirement. You know, as like, I understand the rule of 72. And when I was 21, as someone explained the rule of 72 to me, it was like this light bulb went off. And I was like, oh my gosh, like if I could just save like a hundred dollars, but a hundred dollars when I was 21 was like a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> right? And I'm like, I could be a millionaire. Like that'd be so great. Um, but if you're saving specifically and pouring all your money into trying to fund an adoption or fertility, but you also have this like financial, this retirement, like off in the distance, like it's going to happen one day. I mean, should you put that off or should you put a little bit in or how, how should you reconcile the long-term retirement with your immediate goals? So we call this cash flow planning. And, and so first I would say that a financial plan is, is a living, breathing document. Okay. It's not an investment plan. It's not a tax plan. It's not an estate plan. It's an aerial view of the entire system that includes those things and much, much more. So it provides the vision for decision-making, like what we're discussing right now. And it also creates the flex that's needed between the components of the system to adjust for change. And so I think sometimes when people hear the word plan, they hear rigid. You know, it, it's not a rigid set of instruction. It's an aerial view that allows you to look at the whole system so that you can accommodate for change. And I think that depending upon the urgency of, of the goal, um, we, can, we have a discussion about, well, what could we do to accommodate that goal? And where can we make adjustments that won't harm you long-term, right? I do think that most Americans operate on somewhat of a bucket system where they're, you know, they're contributing money to lots of different buckets and they should in their minds, they're separate pots of money. And the, the, the attendant circumstances that go with that, however, are that I feel like I'm making an inch of progress in a hundred directions, right? It takes a long time to see my progress because it's going in so many different places. One thing I think that financial planning does offer for people is the ability to say, where could I double down without harming something else so that I can sell, accelerate my progress toward one thing or another? And, and, and that's very reasonable to say, you know, I, I do have some urgency around this goal and I'm willing to work a little bit longer if that's what it means, or I'm willing to sacrifice the amount I eat out or the vacations I take are every other year instead of every year. If it means I can achieve these other things that are meaningful to me. And it doesn't always have to mean sacrifice. Honestly, sometimes the, there's just efficiencies to be gained in the system that would allow you to accelerate your progress. How can people find you, Matt? Uh, great question. So the, my firm is called Sage Wealth Planning. And our website is www.sagewealthplans.com. I don't mind offering my personal email address either, which is matt.doran, D-O-R-A-N, 
at sagewealthplans.com. Awesome. Do you have any social media accounts? Yes, we um, actually we're in the process of doing some social media marketing on Facebook and Twitter, but I'm on LinkedIn and um, we do a blog on our website, which is also connected to our LinkedIn. So we should be easy to find. Awesome. Awesome. I'll make sure that I put all of those links in the show notes so that if people are driving right now, they don't have to go like, oh, I need a pen, <laughs> pull over the side of the road. Um, just um, check back with the show notes and the links will be in, in there. Wonderful. And I really appreciate this, Matt. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it's, it's near and dear to my heart and you definitely have some really great advice and I'm looking forward to this going live so that others can um, hear about um, your five points. 